Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only and longest-running, and to be honest, the best, Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Every week we're coming at you with behind-the-scenes stories and secret lore about your favorite Star Trek franchise. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant Services at Paramount back in the 1980s, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. How are we doing today? Um, doing okay, Mitch. Uh, oh, could just, be doing better. Just okay, huh? Just okay, yeah. We have a doozy of an episode today. Um, a lot to talk about that mm. um, I'm not actually looking forward to talking about. So, no, I um, this was one of the more difficult viewing experiences I've had. Um, probably, I, yeah. I like guess since in, last in week, my life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um. We'll get to it in due time, but it's, um, I hope this can be an open and shut case. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Yeah, rather than a cold case. Actually sitting here, sitting here discussing it and, you know, sharing opinions and things like that. Fuck opinions. Fuck sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Everything said in this podcast today is fact. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Objective fact. It's so, not it's not hard to, to speak objectively on TNG season one, if we're being fair. Certainly is not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so before we get to um I guess the downward spiral, as I'll call it, uh we have a question of the week. And this week's question of the week comes from the Twitter sphere, our favorite, just a big old cage yes. of birds. Wonderful. And uh, at Masters of the Eighties asks quote any memories to share about uncredited background actors like james g becker who was designated ensign youngblood by fans he was all over the show but we never hear anything about him i think he was jonathan frakes's stunt double end quote well i'm glad you asked uh masters of the 80s if that is your real name so we there we have some young blood stories. I'll tell you my favorite one, um, the one that was most enjoyable for me in particular. Um, once we caught wind of that nickname on like the fan circuit, you know the conventions and all that, um, we were merciless in using it. Uh, we, the staff kind of behind Becker's back, we would use it as like a as a way to mock him. You know, just some light bullying, some light teasing, but it was kind of fun because of you know. Young blood, how ridiculous is that? It's kind of a silly yeah. name. <laughs> so you know, it was a, this in joke among the staffers. We'd like look to each other and quote like, "Oh, watch out, young blood coming through," or "How oh, you pulled a real young blood there." Um, ah, sorry, I can't help it. I'm such a young blood. And this went on for for a long time. I think it's um. It sucks for James, you know, he kind of paid for the sins of the fan base for making such a stupid name, but, you know, the bullying was just too much fun for any of us to stop. So, you know, may he oh, rest yeah. in peace. 
right right yeah yeah definitely rest in peace um yeah. young blood yes <laughs> <laughs> young blood oh man oh it's a good one we were toying around with um going to his funeral and then bringing that up but the tickets were just so expensive to fly out yeah so yeah that would have been such a good a good bit though wouldn't it it would have been it would have been and it would have been what young what young blood wanted yeah <laughs> i think people were expecting us to do that actually well given how it went on set beforehand i can't blame them you know that's that's his legacy not right. you know he played some minor background big deal who cares but the joy yeah. that his presence brought to everybody on set in how unified the, we the... were in, in the important of, people yeah really yeah. Yeah. yeah not not the extras but right yeah right he he amused the important people um you know kept their spirits up exactly, exactly. that kind of thing now i i would occasionally send him letters um before he died just with um old blood scribbled onto a piece of paper <laughs> oh. sent anonymously <laughs> wow yeah, that's it, a that's a that's a side to you I didn't know about. Well, it's it's taking the prank to the next level. I I don't know if he was like stressed out about it because like you know his his kids wouldn't might find the letter and be like you know why who's sending us this? But right. yeah, he never traced it back to me. So wow, wow, and you know now we can't exactly. It's a it's a victimless crime. I I would imagine the statute of limitations has run out on that too. So you're you're free to go. Exactly, exactly. And now wow. we can all just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm actually... You know what? I'm, I'm in a much better mood already. Right. It's... You know, if 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 Youngblood had been in this episode, <laughs> it would have been a lot better. I, I want to think. He... Youngblood. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> so, good, good, good question. That's, thanks for bringing back the good memories. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Masters of the 80s. Um, you're about 40 years out of date, but that's fine. Anyway, um, if you guys at home, you have your own question of the week you want to ask, you can always email it to us at theReadyourRoom at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at theReadyourRoom. And um, if it's a good question, we'll answer it. And if it's a bad question, we'll make fun of you. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of making fun of things... um. This week, we're talking about an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, episode 21-ish, called mm-hmm. We'll Always ha- Have Paris. Mm-hmm. And, um, not a good episode. No, 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 not at all. Um, it's completely, um, what's, what's, how do I want to say this? It, it feels, once the plot gets going... The conflict is too abstract, first of all. Um, it's it's dealing with like some kind of time phenomenon. There's no real antagonist. Um, not much going in the way of you know, like a, like a a tangible solution to this problem, and and the discussion of of the problem itself is just so abstract and boring that um, I can't help but fall asleep watching this episode. Which is and. A, um, yeah. It, it it just feels like the crew has no stake in any of this the entire episode as well. Mm. Mm. I I think a lot of that 
a lot of those points are pretty salient. It's um a shame though, because if you're gonna you know before I see the episode, you tell me about it, and it's like, yeah, it's really dry uh plot about time streams and and uh loops and such. I know you love that. I do love that. I do love that. I, you know, it's very boring, dry science fiction can be very good, except for the fact that just what's happening here is not very interesting. Um, so what what killed it for you? I think it's uh, I think it's a combination of a few things. First, they didn't really execute the science aspect of the science fiction all that well. Secondly, um, the the character stuff with Picard and his um, his his ex, his old flame, um, also right, right. was not very interesting either. And yeah. These two elements don't work well together. Either you can have like a Star Trek the movie super dry science fiction thing, or you can bring this human element into it. But one of those has to come at the expense of the other because they don't just gel well. And when neither of them are executed particularly outstandingly, um, it's just an episode with, in addition to all of its other problems, also a bit of an identity crisis. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they necessarily need be mutually exclusive, but they're just, like you said, so poorly executed individually that um, the, the, the whole episode falls flat. And it's it's a shame because um, I am obsessed with any episode that deals with Picard as a character or his past, you know, yeah. putting him into situations where he's uncomfortable because he's such a he's such a commanding <laughs> presence, um, you know, day to day. In, in like a typical episode that when he's out of his element, it's really interesting. Um, and it could have been really, I mean, Michelle Phillips, you know, uh, beautiful as ever. Um, another, another um, fantasy Island alum, actually, that, that that's like what the, the 10,000th uh, fantasy Island yeah, uh, we, actor we, we had on the show. We just recruited from the reunions. <laughs> um. Uh, she, for some reason, um, kept trying to give all the cast members kids LSD. I'm not really sure what that was about, but she was, she was a joy to work with, but she had no chemistry with Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, like the whole point of their character, uh, dynamic is how like fiery and passionate this, this, um, relationship was before, uh, Picard ran out on it. You need mm-hmm. to have something there, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's there's no better scene to kind of portray this than the last scene they have together, where they they have a toast, right? And um, she takes one sip and then almost silently just walks away. <laughs> I I didn't really think much of it at the time, but put to words like that it's you you would you would think there'd be like a little bit of trepidation or right you know it's, it's something like you know i'm i'm never gonna see you again after not having seen you for so long and i still think i mean and that's another thing do people really think about this stuff for like 20 years no maybe like children uh, do but right it, 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 but it's, <laughs> children also aren't over 20 years old right well i mean like you know into into like your twenties is probably when you, right 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 okay you stop yeah. getting fixated on on old 
lovers like that. Um, right. But what was I going to say? Just completely left my mind. Oh, yeah. Um, the stuff at the beginning where they're showing Picard like in t- like being very awkward because he knows that he's going to encounter her and he's like, oh, you know, I we have this history and I, I'm not my usual self. I don't introduce myself by name because it's going to mm-hmm. cause this thing. It's like that doesn't connect with this lack of chemistry and passion that we see. Um, no, it doesn't. Because you, you can either have them not really give a fuck about each other or you can have like this this um, lingering heat between them, which causes Picard to act all awkwardly. But one has to lead into the other, and it, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I mean, that's that's pretty self evident. I think it's just um, really poorly handled <laughs> all around, and um, it's it's almost it feels like such an afterthought that you you wonder why they included it to begin with. Hmm. I mean, needless to say, this episode was absolutely riddled with production issues. Um, you know, if if we're talking about why it is the way it is, hmm. I mean, you know, obviously, this this episode probably has the most cut footage out of any episode of TNG ever. Oh yeah, you know, by virtue of basically the entire episode having been cut. Um, from its from its first filming right Mm. um because the the only holdover is actually that that scene in the in the beginning with picard where he's he's fencing with um what was his name uh what what, i don't know but i remember the idea was that that character he's fencing with is going to play like a principal role and then um all that gets cut so it's just this guy right yeah 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 and yeah so (laughs) when you're watching this episode you see this guy who, you know, he's, he's very clearly framed as a few lines. Um, yeah, he, he was absolutely supposed to be a bigger part of the episode. But so what happens is, you know, after all the filming and the editing of the original cut, we sit down, you know, as, as we did um, to watch the episode that would be broadcast. Right. And we're sitting there and, and this playback issue, I guess, caused the that 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 line, you know, the line, the, the what technique is that? Mm, or what mm. technique was that and mm. then and then picard responds it caused that to repeat itself it played two times and um i think it was i think it was maurice his eyes just light up and and he immediately says something to the effect of you know like i i don't care where this episode's going i've got a better idea and you know the rest is history we completely threw out that original episode and uh, went with this weird time travel uh plot which didn't end up paying off at all not at all Unfortunately, um, I oh yeah, I'm always thinking about what could have been, um, you know, based on that the first draft, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like into this 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 fencing thing at the beginning. The fencing thing was interesting. I mean, I think it was probably um, one of the stronger starts to an episode. It was. Um, um, because it's, there's a number of things interesting about it. First of all, it's a side of Picard that, um, you know, hasn't been explored yet. It's like, this is one of his hobbies. Okay, Picard can fence. That's cool. Um, it's got this other character who we don't know anything about, who's apparently, like, also a fencer and, you know, close to Picard. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
it's like a good visual metaphor that might pay off later. Um, not in this draft, but it's possible to construct an episode that way. Right. And it's it's just unique. You don't really see characters, you know, at least early on in TNG, uh, sparring like that or doing physical activity. Later on, it kind of ramps up more and more with all like the wharf training stuff and all this stupid right, bullshit. Right. But but uh, <laughs> especially not Picard. Especially not Picard. So yeah, it, it was like a bait and switch. Um, by the way, I don't know when I'm going to have another chance to talk about this. So I'm just going to throw <laughs> this in. Um, for people at home, I'm going to let you in on some movie making magic. Oh, uh, here we go. Here we go. It's behind the scenes. So if you ever need a character to sweat on screen, um, you can't just send an actor into like a sauna, right? Um, for a few reasons. One, it's not humane. They they wilt like flowers. Actors do. And it also doesn't show up very well on camera. So here's what you do. You guys making a movie at home. Because in this scene, Picard takes off his fencing gear and he's like drenched in sweat. So is the other guy. Covered. Uh, covered. You mix corn syrup, MSG, and some little bit, little bit of baby oil. And it makes this like substance that is clear, but also very shiny. And it resembles sweat very, very well. It also, like, if you get it in, you know, somebody's hair, this wasn't the case for Patrick, but the other guy, um, it has that similar effect to sweat where it, like, sticks up at odd angles. So we had that for this. We had our baby oil sweat going around for everybody. And um, that's how we did it. We always came back to that well of uh, making yeah. fake sweat. I remember sometimes it was my job to, you know, sit in front of the big vat of it and like you know stir it around with a stick to make sure it had the consistency that we wanted because if you don't stir it around enough it 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 hardens right. into like a gel yeah it, it coagulates exactly exactly so that coagulation has to be avoided you got to have somebody stirring the, the big old barrel of uh, fake sweat i hated sweat duty yeah it was one of the worst jobs on set because you were, you knew that you were taken up for like two, three hours, however long. Yeah. And well, yeah, you couldn't let it sit for a second. No, no, it's much like cement. And if the sh- if the shoot goes on for long enough, they'll need to reapply it. And if by that point it had coagulated, you're done. So right, right. Please use this technique for your own fan trek films, but please be aware that um, it's a it's a constant constant needy little thing <laughs> there's a lot of upkeep that's for sure yes yes at least uh my arms got big back in the day from it oh yeah you get swole it's, it's, yeah uh swole stirring the sweat there was a bit of alliteration we came uh, up yeah with. yeah that's right that's right swole stirring the sweat right a bit wow. of an, we were sss officers that that takes me back the old the old sss crew yeah yeah fun times wow so um yeah, so so that that intro is uh is nice. I enjoyed it, and then um, it all you know, goes downhill. I don't even say it, it. I wouldn't even say it all goes downhill from there because you know then we get Picard on the bridge and he hears about this guy and um you know we we couldn't let this 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 you know emotional turmoil that Picard is feeling we couldn't let that play out naturally. So of course we um we had Troy tell picard that he's worried about something 
and um then he goes into this little paris set in the the holodeck the holodeck yeah so this was the weirdest thing i was watching this and as that scene plays out the construction of this um holodeck file gets all the stranger because it's like did picard construct this specifically as like indulgent therapy because there's right there's like a woman there who's simulating the woman that he left behind and there's a waiter that's like asking picard about his personal life and his feelings oh yeah uh jean paul vignon uh, the only uh the only actor who actually spoke french on the set we we really needed his talents there to be honest i thought his <laughs> i thought his french accent was fake <laughs> nope nope french is his first language oh god well god bless him flamion whatever his name is uh, <laughs> but yeah the the logistics of picard constructing this seemed weird to me um not that picard would wouldn't want to go visit france but that he would make all these uh all these golems that basically serve to <laughs> to, to, to fillet his personality you're right um and he does have a throw throwaway line where he's like oh enough of the self-indulgence but um th that kind of begs the question of yes why did he make this to begin with right and it, in what state of mind would he have have to have been in to sit there for you know, at least probably half an hour and kind of plan all this out, you know, um, when you, when you bring it up like that, yes, it is a little concerning and I hate it now, <laughs> but I did like the set as little, you know, retro futurist and yeah, I, that was um, cool. I am in love with matte paintings. Yeah, that was, uh, that was nice. Um, that so, like Eiffel tower over this like yeah, futuristic yeah. tube thing. I think that actually got reused in one of the later um, original series movies, that painting. Mm. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we couldn't make a painting and then just use it for one thing. So, you use it for one thing, I, I then you it. take it home and put it on your entire wall. Right, right. Which is what I would do if I made them, but I, uh, I'm not that good of an artist. No, no. Well, you're better than I am, as, as everybody saw on Twitter. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, I, I can do a good facial sketch. See, I can only do um, a good facial. But... Oh, <laughs> uh, we know. We know, Mitch. So, uh, yeah. Right after this, I do need to bring this up because we're not going to be able to talk about it. Um, unless you wanted to keep talking about the French. That... I feel like there was something. Oh, so this is a minor point, barely related to the French sense. So I don't know why I'm talking about it, but it's... So he dates this time of the French set as being like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm always curious about futuristic fiction's depiction of the passage of time relative to cultural trends and looks. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, the rate of technological advancement has only been accelerating. And also, outside of technology, things like fashion trends will change very drastically over 20 years, over 10 years. Right. So when you have futuristic um, environments uh, in fiction, 
and they refer to a time from like 20 years ago but the original time frame is like 200 100 years ahead of the real world very rarely do they depict any kind of cultural change in that relatively smaller amount of time <laughs> right even though in actuality it would be like quite a significant amount of time yeah absolutely so i'm just kind of rambling about that but it is interesting to me because i was no it's 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 an interesting point i was thinking about that when i saw that set it's like oh i wonder if this is supposed to be somewhat retro for it within the context of the show itself you know what it is i think if you know if, if you go to a french restaurant nowadays um i think that's sort of the aesthetic you know, and I, I think it might have just always been the aesthetic. Um, I didn't frequent French restaurants back in the day. Um, that's for sure. They weren't really paying me enough to. So um, I want to say that that's just kind of like a, a thing that French restaurants do is look like that. But I'm not sure. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. Hmm. Well, I'll just say this. I question the wisdom of having an entire restaurant operate outside because during the rain, you can't go there. Yeah, but I mean... Does it rain in France? That's the thing. Um, I was going to ask that. I don't think I've ever heard of it raining in France. Right, I know it rains or in Spain. Or at least Paris. Yeah. Yeah, Man. mainly on the plane. Right. But in France, I mean, where, where would it rain? On my pants? I don't know. Right. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're right. It, it does only rain where it rhymes. <laughs> so, I don't know. But... After that, Picard like only goes on that excursion in like the brief time while they're traveling to meet. Um, yeah. The, the, the distressed signal. Yeah. Um, which, based on the person who sent it, Picard immediately identifies as related to the time. Um the small time loop that occurred earlier. Okay, here's a thing. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. There's a line of dialogue from... Oh, I didn't write it down. I think it's from Riker. Where they're on, like, the radio, and Picard's like, Bridge, did something happen? Because the time loop just occurred. And and Riker's like, Yes, we just experienced <laughs> a small time loop. Just super casually, as, as, if, <laughs> as if they hit turbulence. I I wish I wrote this down as well. He says something really stupid. I don't think it was that, but it is something very dumb, um, very casual, and and almost almost the way that someone who um, was kind of like teleported forward in time five hundred years would describe the phenomenon. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Not something yeah. that's very clearly on the cutting edge of um, right experimentation and research. Right. As we see in this episode. So, yeah, so that stuck out to me as being stupid. So I've got something stupid for you. Lay it on um, me. Did you notice this is this is probably about like right after the French restaurant. Did you notice um Michael's pronunciation of longitude? Yes. Yes I did. Wow. Yeah. I uh, that's amazing. So I was yeah. <laughs> It always blows my mind. When when we think of the same stupid shit, yeah, he says, "What do you say, longitude?" Well, yeah, longitude or something like that. Not how you pronounce that word. Absolutely not. I'm not sure why we went with that take. 
It's um, it, well, it was before the internet. You couldn't really look up how to say things as easily. Right. Got to, got to remember that. Right. So when someone's on set like Longitude, there's tons of people who just are like, "Is that how it's said?" And they don't want to say anything. Especially, you know, when it's like one of the main cast and you're just like holding a boom mic somewhere. You don't want right, to pipe right, up and be true. like, I, I think it's longitude. longitude. You don't, you don't want to get the talent angry. Right. Um, all right, where are we going from here? Well, nothing happens in this episode. So yeah, nothing really does happen. Let's talk about the coolest moment of the episode. Um, okay. They're talking about this time thing. Uh, Picard, Data, and I want to say Riker go into an elevator. And then the elevator stops at another floor. And it, the door opens and it's the three of them standing outside of it. And oh, what, yeah. What's cool about this scene is, is A, the way it was you know shot with um, both all six instances of, of those people being on screen at once. But... Um, Everyone's reaction to it is is pitch perfect, I think, where n- nobody really has, like, surprise, but they're more concerned about it. The, so the door opens, and one of the cards just says to his crew, he's like, oh, it's happening again. And <laughs> it's not... It, it It's played exactly like it would be for, like, an exploration vessel that's aware of the situation. Right. Which caught me off guard in some ways. I mean, it's a good thing, but it surprised me. Um, And, you know, Data just begins offering commentary on the situation. There's no stupid, like, I'm me. Who are you? Well, I'm me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great observation. Yes, that was handled um, very well. And it's probably because it was handled so well that I glossed right over it. Um, kind of in in remembering this episode, because yeah. Because there's so much surrounding it that is just so terrible. Well, here's but the thing. yeah, I wrote in my notes like, oh, this episode's pretty boring, and then it gets to that scene, and I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty interesting. Because I thought we'd get more things right. like that, right? And then we don't, and like later right, on in my notes, right, oh, this actually is boring. Um, I hated so I hated all the stuff with. Um, what's his name? Mannheim? Mannheim, yeah. Mannheim. Yes. Okay, so I feel like this is just a rumor. I don't want to confirm it because I wasn't privy to those discussions, but I feel like the actor who played Mannheim, part of the stipulation of his contract was that 95% of his shots he would be able to lay down during them. Yeah, I mean, we have him dying in sick bay for the entire episode. Or he gets teleported in, and he's transported in, and he's lying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Then when he gets better, he's still on the bed in sick bay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I didn't really quite catch what, what about his situation was causing him to die. He said that he saw the other side, like another universe another dimension and his brain was drifting between that and there so i don't know if he was actually dying or just mentally unstable Oh, okay right right just kind of crazy yeah which like okay you know you look into the abyss the beyond um 
that's fine. That's never really substantiated by anything. Um, no, no, it's not, not at all. It's more of kind of yeah. Oh no, go ahead. It's more of an excuse to send data to the climax of the episode. Right, right, right. Which I think is probably the uh, one of the highlights. It's weirdly exciting in some ways, and not like not organically exciting like data goes to this <laughs> this lab and like there's a laser firing at him so he does like a combat roll i could have sworn we'd used that set before too but i don't think we did now that i are, are you sure that I, it's you know, not really the one it. from that terraforming station i don't think it is even though it does kind of look like it hmm. i don't think it is but kind of i can't remember at least this the action that plays out is similar with data like it is, yeah. Evading, fighting this... like a gun. Yeah, it's <laughs> a disembodied <laughs> gun. <laughs> right, right. So Data at the end of the episode, he's in that lab, and he tells Jordy to initiate a countdown, which I thought was very strange. Like, does Data the the android need a human to keep time for him? <laughs> I didn't really get that. Now I understand that that was only so that. As the timelines start converging, we can hear the countdown playing out at different stages. Yes. But, yeah, it before that happened, and Data's like, Jordy, start a countdown. I'm like, who are you? Um, <laughs> I did like this. This moment was cool. Um, as the timelines start converging, multiple Datas come out of... Uh, right basically from nowhere alternate dimensions and they start interacting with each other and um one of the data's our data asks the questions like oh who has uh, whose timeline is the correctly timed one like who should be doing this who's on first who's on first and it's one of the other data's that's not our data that says it's me and because they're all data they're all robots they're just like oh yeah and uh, <laughs> then they just execute the thing perfectly. Well, see, I was suspicious because the the middle data used a contraction, and I was wondering if it was really him. Oh my god! <laughs> You're right. Yeah, You're absolutely right. I hope someone got fired for that. <laughs> so this was another bit of like trick photography, getting all these datas in together, which was cool, but. Nobody at that point told Brent that this was how the scene was going to be shot. And I guess mm -hmm. it kind of fucks with his expectations because he had assumed that there would be a bunch of Brent Spiner lookalikes, like data doubles appearing. Right, right. But we wanted he to do the trick photography, but he wanted all these Brent adjacent actors to show up, the BAAs, he called mm -hmm. them. Right, right. I think it was like an ego thing, you know, to be surrounded by images of oneself people putting in right. all this effort to look like you um doesn't surprise me that brent would have an ego didn't surprise me then doesn't surprise me now certainly not now no. i mean the b is have only grown in number since then exactly exactly it's kind of like um an army of baas so it's the baa right. in fact you know you've probably seen them you know in daily life walking down the street if you've ever seen someone and thought that guy kind of looks like brent spiner He's probably a BAA. 
Exactly. And they've infiltrated society at several levels. But it's 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 unbelievable, really. It is, it but, is. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a story for a different time. Hmm. But we kept hearing about this from Brent for the longest time, because he was denied his BAAs at the time. And uh, going forward, any time like, a guest actor would come onto the show, Brent would kind of get persnickety and be like, oh, you know, why don't we just make this character in post? Or... <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So, a little bit of a diva, Brent was. But the scene itself was worth worth putting up with his his griping because it was really cool. Yeah, it came out good. It was uh, it was you know kind of funny. Um, at least it had some kind of stakes, I guess. I don't know if it did have. Uh, uh, well, yeah. the stakes were high. Oh, yes, that's true. The stakes were weirdly high for an episode of TNG because um, usually it's like the diplomatic relations of one planet or the life of one crew member but now it's like the fabric of time space that's at stake right and um the stakes were high i'm not sure how high the tension was the tension no th- th- there was basically no tension because when you assign data to do the job he's just gonna do it like it's not there's nothing really left up to chance. It's just like, okay, I need to time this correctly. Luckily, I'm a computer, so that's easy for me. And um, right. when it comes down to this like timeline-bending issue of, oh, who's got the correct timeline to do this? Well, all the data is just instantly no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would have been a cool moment for, like, you know, Riker to be, to use like his maverick personality. And it's like, I, you know, I'm not sure, but we got to make a choice and I hope this works. And, right. Yeah. I didn't yeah, quite yeah. get the, the logistics of like the hole. There's like a hole that data looks at and he's like, sir, it's been patched. It's not closed, but it's been patched. And like, is, <laughs> is it a physical hole that you can see? I, um, I don't really care. That's the thing. Well, certainly it's not important, but I, I, I. It, by that point in the episode, I had just stopped caring so much. <laughs> I can't believe um, you. It's such a boring episode. Like it's weird to talk about like all these time loops and alternate timelines and time travel, and be like, yeah, it's boring as hell. Right. Right. Um. I, I have to note this, uh, moving on from the data scene. Uh, we have another person amazed by the holodeck in this episode. <laughs> now, I you know, can d- kind of buy that. I guess. Somebody who's still, not, though. not Starfleet might not have access to holodecks. Maybe. I guess. It, it can't be that novel of a technology if it's on every starship, you know? Hmm. She's like, oh, don't tell me how you did this. Don't tell me how you did this. I don't know. It's uh, it's always going to be frustrating to me to see someone amazed by such banal technology. Yeah, I mean, because you assume in the future that information can spread pretty easily and even if you've never used a holodeck you probably know about it you would have to have heard of it yes right 
like they, they they probably have like uh like demo stands at the the future malls for them you know mm. so there's no way these people haven't encountered them before but anyway i, I don't i don't want to i don't want to you know uh hang too much on that but i just wanted to point it out it is worth keeping a running tally of um, yeah for sure i that's and that's why this episode's not good because that's a scene that involves um michelle phillips's character who really just does mm-hmm. nothing and mm-hmm. her presence also contributes nothing um, yeah for picard's character even picard's character doesn't even get developed over this episode no no not at all because at the very we, beginning we see him kind of mm. he goes into the cafe and he's talking to the golem and he's like, oh, maybe your uh, lover's not here because he got scared. Scared of roots. Scared of staying in one place. Mm-hmm. And then that's just exactly what he tells <laughs> Michelle Phillips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then that that is the actual solution to the question. Uh, and there's no real reflection on this at all. Nothing in the episode um, is affected by it. No. I would love to find like a palpable link between Picard's um, escapades in France and the space-time continuum. However, I don't think it's in the cards. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a shame because as a concept, it's interesting, but just so, so, so flat. Extremely. Extremely. Um, you want to you I... rewrite this episode? I would remove the michelle phillips and manheim characters mm-hmm. um and just ratchet up the amount of weird space stuff handled in like a yeah, sure. heavy scientific way sure yeah that's fine i guess or just have like 43 minutes of fencing now that would be perfect yeah there's, you know, there's many timelines out there of how this episode is made, and I think we got the worst one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't really have much more to say, much more to uh, to add to that. It's 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 bad. Um, we've said that about a dozen times now. So yeah, it's weird because but... we've had bad episodes before that we could talk more about, but I right. think I think both you and I have. Um, we're at a bit of a loss about this. It's yeah, just, it's not, yeah. It's not bad in an interesting way. You said that yeah. you kind of checked out towards the end. I, I also did. I checked right back in at the very end um, when <laughs> the most bizarre conversation in the history of the world takes place. <laughs> between um, Riker, Picard, and Troy? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Holds a special place in our hearts. It does. It does. Um, f- for the audience, um, you have probably noticed this already. Um, this 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 line that was said by um, by Troy. It was Troy. Um, so so this this episode is actually was produced during the uh, the famous Writers Guild strike of 1988. I almost said ninety eight. No, that's Jesus. that's a different decade. That's a that's a yes. That is a different decade. Um, no, the, the the strike of 1988. Um, so that meant, of course, that this was the first time and 
not the last time that Mitch and I got to contribute to the actual script. Baby. Hey. Baby. So, um, yeah, you can thank us for introducing the Zanza Men's Dance Palace into the Star Trek canon. I know uh, plenty of fan fiction has been written about that. I think it has its own page on Memory Alpha. Oh, I bet it does. I bet it does. I, how can it not? How can um, it not? Yeah, easily. So, in a way, this episode does like we 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 can't hate this episode too much, right? It is our yeah. episode. It is, yeah. It's kind of our baby, but um, you know, maybe they should have listened to us a little bit more for the rest of the episode. You know, you know, Trek TNG would have um would have gotten a little few more Emmys had we had more say over things. Absolutely. Would have been an Emmy collecting force. Well, I think that's going to do it for our talk on We'll Always Have Paris. We'll always have, we'll always have Paris. Unfortunately, Mitch. Unfortunately. It's a blight on the side of the <laughs> the hull that is TNG. Oh, man. Um, well, I'm excited now because I get to ask you my question. It's it's well known that you don't get to ask me any questions over the entire week until uh, the end of our right. show. I get I get this single question to ask you every week, so oh, I, I can barely contain my excitement. Sock it to me. So this question is about the French restaurant in this episode. Okay. okay. Specifically about the food that it serves. Okay. Is it is it's and, not about um, the guy like um masturbating plastic tubes to make noise? <laughs> <laughs> um I honestly didn't even notice him. Oh, uh, look back on it. It's a very wonderful instrument he's playing. I mean, I I can picture it now that you mention it, but I would have totally forgotten it had you had you not brought it up. Um no, no, it's it's about the food, and and my French pronunciation is probably going to be a little uh, little off here, but bear with me. Um, do you know French? Um, I know of French. Okay, well, good enough. So, um, I believe the restaurant is called Cafe Artiste. Subtle, right? And um, it serves all of the following, except, and this is going to be multiple choice, okay? okay. Croissants de lithium. Klingon targ a la mode. <laughs> no way. Trible dans le blanquette. Mollusque romulain giant. And uh, le antimater flambe. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, no. Um, I think I think it might be um, easier if you just take a look at what I've written down here. Okay. Um, and and you can tell me which one does not belong. All right. So here's the thing: they're all stupid. So we got. Are, are, these were set in the episode. No. Oh <laughs> no no they they're on the menu. However, uh, this is some EU stuff. No no it's on the menu. Like, written on the set? It's on the printed menu, yeah. I never realized that. Okay. So we have lithium croissants. <laughs> Literal Klingon. 
Um, oh, Tribbles. Okay, I didn't realize that from the fr- pronunciation. Yeah. Trible. Yeah. Trible. Romulans and Antimatter Flambe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is all stupid. It's all stupid. So, I, I, I'm going to assume it's not a trick question. Like, they're all on the menu. Although I would believe right. it. I don't remember this. It's, it's, it's not a trick question. It's okay. not a trick question. I, you know, I'm coming down between antimatter flambe and lithium croissants. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with... Let's go with lithium croissants. Okay, so A. A, final answer. Final answer the correct answer is D. I made that one up. Really, the Romulans? Yeah, yeah. Well, think about it. I tried to make it easy for you. Why would there be a Romulan? Why would there be Romulan cuisine on Earth? They're enemies. <laughs> You're right. You know, I didn't really think about that. I know that from my lore knowledge that they regularly ship in tribbles to for consumption right. purposes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I tried to make it easy on you, Mitch. And I, I dropped the ball. You did. You did. I finally got you. It feels good. <laughs> finally got me, you know, just forgetting the, the, the streak of like seven questions in a row I got wrong at the beginning. <laughs> That's all right. You, you, had a, you had a pretty long streak of getting them right, so. I'll have to bounce back next time. I'll, um, I didn't have my lithium croissants to, this morning, so I'm kind of right, you know, right. not in the right state of mind. <laughs> Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of The Readier Room. Um, I guess you can join us next week when we're approaching the end of the season. I, don't, I think it's not the end of the season yet, though. We have two more episodes? Not yet. We, I think we have two, yeah. Okay, okay. So next week's the penultimate episode, and the week mm-hmm. after that will be the teller ultimate episode. So be sure to join us. Mm-hmm. And until then, everybody, please stay readier. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I stroke the beard thusly. Intellectual. Computer! Freeze program. It's not a promising beginning, 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 beginning.